0: may be seated. I've just got a couple of thoughts um, that I want to share with you today, and um, there's a couple of things I want to point to, and then look, if there's time, we'll have a conversation about it, because I genuinely do want to have a conversation. Um, One of the things that I wanted to um, talk about today is the subject of stewardship. And I purposely haven't branded this under the Fundamentals of Faith series that we started last week because I had a long time ago decided that I would talk about this today. uh, And I didn't want to just make the excuse to slide it under Fundamentals. I intentionally had this subject on the calendar. Um, And you'll see there that I've just put up there the stewardship is the responsibility of wisely using all that God has given us. That's what stewardship is it's taking care, it's taking responsibility. Being faithful, diligent, and obedient. But I want to say right at the outset, because those of you that have been in church more than one, one or two Sundays will often see this heading, hear the preacher get up and think, oh, he's going to talk to me about my money. And you pucker up. And you look at me over your glasses. But that's not what I'm doing today. Actually, what I'm doing today is I'm actually coming to talk to you as the leader of the church about the church's responsibility for stewardship. So you can relax a little bit. But I do hope God speaks to you. Because I expect that you'll hear things about your personal stewardship, but my intention today is to open up and to speak about stewardship from the perspective of the church. So what is stewardship, and why would we talk about it? And... um, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to speak to every single one of these passages, but I was just going on a browse because Jesus talked about this quite a lot. And um, for those of you that, because I know um, everyone loves to read the Bible, eh? Roaring thunderous response from the crowd. Everyone loves to read the Bible. <laughs> yes, awesome. So for those of you that like to read uh, the Bible uh, in that order, you could take a photo of the slide. Um, But pretty much, this is just me jogging through a couple of pages in the book of Luke as Luke records the teaching of Jesus and Jesus speaking about stewardship. And and look, the first one Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. He's basically saying, Look, be ready. This translation says, uh, Let your waist be girded. Oh, that sounds like painful. And your lamps burning. And you'd be like men who wait for their master who will return. Readiness is part of stewardship. Readiness. And you can go on and read the rest of that uh, passage for context. But Jesus Jesus is saying, watch out, be ready, because you don't know when the master's coming back. And while you're waiting, act like you're ready. And then Peter is kind of like, same passage, you can see down there in verse 41. So Peter's like, hey, are you talking to us or are you talking to them? Like, let me just get this clear, because I'm not quite sure. You're the master and you're here, but you're talking about the master who's coming back. And, and, and Peter's, like, always confused and often vocal about it. And he's like, are you seriously saying that this is us? And Jesus says, who is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he returns. Stewardship is Stewardship's about obedience. When no one's watching. And again, go on and read that passage. The the whole passage um, connects together. So you just turn the page and you find more of it. Luke chapter 16, right at the beginning, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account Oh, well, stewardship is about accountability. You have to answer for what you do. I mean, there's a whole message in that as well. Later on, chapter 16, verse 10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. If you can't handle a little bit, God says, I'm not giving you more. What you have in your hand is what God expects you to be faithful with and no more. Hmm. And then across in Luke 19, Jesus tells one of the more well known, I guess, passages that might be referred to in this kind of message in Luke chapter 19, verse 12. A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. He called 10 of his servants, delivered them 10 minors, and he said to them, do business till I come. So that passage is talking about, well, when God's not here, we have to be active in our waiting. We often say this faith is an action word. Waiting on God is not a passive activity. It's an active waiting that we're supposed to do. And um, I've, I've described this before. Waiting on God is, could, be, could be like, um, uh, you imagine uh, a lion was crouched in readiness to pounce on something, knowing it will pass by. That's the readiness of waiting on God, the anticipation of, of knowing that something's coming, but being active and alert in that. So stewardship is about all these things. It's about you know, being waiting and being ready. It's about being accountable. It's being active as we do things. And these are all really, really good passages for you to meditate on. Today, I just want to speak about one passage very briefly, Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to read it to you. So Matthew chapter 25 from verse 14. Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two, gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he, who had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look there. You have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not such a happy ending to that passage, but the the parable is there for us to understand. as regarding to stewardship. And as I looked through it this week, I just had four thoughts about it. Stewardship, for me, is understanding that everything we have is not ours. Ownership is not ours. Everything is the Lord's. Easy to agree with. Not easy to act on. There's one thing to say, hey, yes, everything's God's. Until he asks you to do something you don't want to do. Submission is only ever truly Tested we're asked to do something we don't want to do. Look at verse 14 and 15. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who caught his servants and delivered his goods to them. His goods. His goods. All that we have is in our hands and we better hold it with open hands. Because what God has given us. And so I'm thinking about this from the church and I'm looking at the legacy that we have of 35 years of Many generations have prayed faithfully and and lived dynamically as the community of faith. But it's all God's, and it will remain all God's. And this is the the way that um, I've come to see the principle of stewardship. The other thing that we should point out is that stewards have no rights. Owners have rights. Stewards, however, if you look at the text, have responsibilities. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. There's a responsibility that that I feel as the leader of the church as part of the eldership, that what we have in our hands that God has blessed us with, which remains his, we have a responsibility to be faithful and obedient stewards of that. Same applies for you. We have responsibilities, but not rights. Years and years ago, I had a career in coaching people with money And the ones that would get themselves in the worst trouble were the ones that thought they had the right to spend what they earned. I have the right to be happy. I have the right to enjoy the fruit of my labor. I have the right to do this. Truth is, from God's economy, we have no rights. The third thing that I've put up here is we're measured as accountable for our administration. Luke pointed it out, and then so does Matthew as he writes this. If you have a look at verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. We will answer to the Lord for our activity, for our administration, and what we return to him. There's a heaviness that I sense in that responsibility of accountability that really holds me, as Gary pointed to, in what I call the fear of the Lord. Not that I'm afraid of God, but I'm answering to God, and I hold that responsibility heavily as as far as in awe. Because the weight of making decisions for the church and answering to God is, is not one I take lightly but I also understand that I will stand before him and and be held accountable. Conduct, decisions, opportunities, obedience, responsibility, all these things are part of our accountability and are part of stewardship as we are stewards of all that God has given us. And the final thing that I point out in this passage is rewards will be given to faithful stewards who do the master's will. Rewards. This is a good news book that is given to us as a gift by a father who wants to reward us. This doesn't mean life's all rosy. But in verse 20, he who had received five talents came and brought five others, Lord I've gained you five more. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So not only is there increase into the responsibilities, increase into the stewardship, increase into the accountability, but there's the come and hang out with me and enter the joy of your Lord. There's that intimacy and the expression of the favor and the pleasure of God that's experienced. That's a good reward right there. So certainly as I try and be a faithful steward, I'm certainly also anticipating in step with God, seeing the rewards of God. So therein lies the thoughts from the passage, and what I wanted to briefly point to was what we at the uh, eldership level, and which you will very shortly be aware of, what we're calling Project 1310. Uh, For many, many years, uh, I've been wrestling with what do we do with what God has given us in our hands being the assets of the church. And I've spoken about it publicly several times and we're going to speak about it more because uh, like a snowball, it's gaining size and momentum as we feel the Lord opening uh, doors and timelines. But essentially what it boils down to is we wrestled with this as eldership The eldership came to the point where they came into agreement where they said, look, this property will not contain the vision we have for this church for the next 25 years. Now, that's a long way away. Uh, Yes, it is. But we're also having to think long-term. God is a multi-generational God. God is outside the tenure of one man. He's about his kingdom coming to this region uh, so, so, the elders have wrestled with that for many years. Last year, we, we sort of came out and said this publicly and said, This is what we're thinking and this is what we might do. And, and we want feedback, we want conversation, we want to talk about it. And, and those conversations have been happening. We look around the building, and, and if you were here on Thursday with Carla, you would have been helping her put buckets out because we had an incredible downpour. And when we get a downpour, the building cries on the inside. It's leaking in more than one place. And we're doing our best to take care of things, and there's a couple of people that have uh, taken on it themselves to to do some repairs, which is awesome, to minimize the damage, but the reality is the elders have looked at this building and said it's not worth spending too much money on. Because we could spend $2 million on this building and just get what we've got, but just remodeled and watertight. And the elders don't think, whether it's $2 million, whether it's $200,000, they don't think it's a good spend. It's not a good investment. It's not wise use of what we've got. So Project 1310 is about, well, what could we do and how could we be stewards of this? And, And how could we honor the generations before us and how could we build a platform for the generations after us? And all we have in our hand is what you see here. So, what is it going to enable us to do? So, Project 1310 is about exploring options for this property in order that we would find the best plan on how we could, um, what we're now saying is how we could redevelop this site, not as a church. And that's a really big call for us to make because a lot of questions spring to mind. Mostly like, (gasps) where will we do church? And that's a thought I have often. It's a question I ask myself often and I still haven't found the answer to it. But we could still do church together, but I don't know where. It was 2017. Andrea was working in the office at the time, I remember it. And the Lord said to me, 2017, Hebrews 11 verse 8. I've put in my notes just so I quote it right. By faith, Abraham when he was called by God, obeyed by going to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went not knowing where he was going. Some aspects of our faith journey are walking blind, walking into an unknown going, well, I know I'll meet God when I get there, wherever there is. And trust me, that is not something I say lightly, haphazardly. With a sense of no responsibility. That's our big call. So we're gonna to have to reinvent and rethink and reimagine how we might worship together as the body of Christ if we don't have these pews all pointing in the same direction in the same building. Church without walls. Church in a hall? Church in a park? Church in another building. I genuinely don't know, but I'm excited to see what God will reveal. The conference on Thursday night, the opening session, Pastor Paul de Jong from Life Church in Auckland um, was speaking, and he wasn't speaking on stewardship, but he was speaking about being expectant that God was doing something regardless of what your reality looks like. And, and he um, when, they, when they decided to build their church in Mount Eden many, many, many years ago, It was a $25 million project. They took the proposal to the Auckland City Council, and the Auckland City Council said to them, you will never, ever build a church on Mount Eden Road. And the project hand came back to Pastor Paul and said, this is what the council said to us. Our application is back in our hands. He says, for two years they prayed, and they worked diligently and faithfully preparing what the council needed, and that building was built. They built three campuses. He said to us the other day, uh, 20, 2019, they had uh, $45 million worth of debt. And the Lord said, would you believe me that you could pay that off? And the beginning of this year, they made the last payment. So let us, um, and the numbers might scare you, but they're his numbers, right? What's my point? Same God. So no, I don't have all the answers. But I have faith in the one who does, and I'm willing to follow that because my role in stewardship is to be obedient to what I feel the Lord is saying. I wanted briefly to um, answer the question, well, what on earth are we going to do here? And, and we're currently working with um, what we're calling partners and I've got, uh, and has been working on some banners that we're going to have some information that we'll just have around the building here that you can begin to see some of the conversations that we've been happening and what's going on. But we've got partnerships with, obviously, with professionals like surveyors and architects and finances and accountants and lawyers. But the big partnership that we're looking to confirm, so don't hear me say it's a done deal, but... Um, We're in conversation with Habitat for Humanity, which are an international organisation that help people with housing. One of the primary needs that we feel to um, deliver to Tiamudu is what we're calling affordable housing. And uh, there's a number of things that we're working on there, but this is one of the biggest needs in our town. And um, the conversations I've had with the mayor about it uh, he's hot on it. He's, he's desperate to see innovative solutions in Tiamudu to help with the housing crisis that is in our town, let alone every other town and city in New Zealand. So we're like, hey, what if we could be part of the answer for our town? What have we got in our hand, and how could we serve our city? Let's be a light to our city. Let's not be selfish and hold on to what we've always had, but let's sow it as a seed in faith, believing that God's going to take that seed, multiply it, and use it for the glory of God. One of the things that Habitat are a global expert in is providing housing ownership pathways. They call it, their model is progressive home ownership. And they have equity sharing and they have first home buyers and they have all sorts of other programs. They are experts at that, awesome. Let them be partners that help with that. But we want to see more people own their own home. We also want to contribute to what I call the social fabric of our community. What does that mean that means actually being active in the community meeting needs this is a fantastic opportunity and don't don't get this wrong don't get my motives wrong but man we can spin this in the media to get goodwill for the church and i didn't say our church i said that church christians doing good in the community in practical ways i think that's a good idea Contributing to social fabric and how people live and building community, fostering community. So the, the, the scheme that we've got for the site, which I hope to be able to give you uh, early in April, has green space for shared living. Fostering community. And lastly, as per Matthew 25, I feel a responsibility to return some kind of... Uh, Financial return to all stakeholders, which includes the church. The church is one stakeholder, but the community is also another stakeholder. Homeowners are a stakeholder. Home occupants are a stakeholder. How do we provide a financial model that means everybody wins? And in speaking with um, Caroline's boss, Mark, who's our accountant, uh, the firm's our accountant on uh, Thursday, Friday, whenever it was, he's like, man... There's so many people out there creaming it in the property market, but the end user is getting the raw end of the deal. Affordable houses advertised in Teowamudu, five hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars for a first home buyer. In Hamilton, that's eight hundred thousand for an. It's called an affordable house. I reckon we can change that. So these are what we're trying to achieve, and and I share them with you. Um, because I want to be accountable to you. We're making decisions as an eldership. We're, we're trying to have conversations with people as we go. And please, if you've at any time got anything that you'd like to talk about, then please come and find me. I want to finish with this. Why are we doing this? I'm rereading it this morning in a different Bible, so hopefully I get it right from this one. John 14. Jesus is having this conversation. There's this little phrase that jumped out at me this week in all that we do. And John, he said, um, Jesus says this, John 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that's awesome, that I will do, well, that's also awesome, that the Father may be glorified. And so whether it's um, uh, someone coming to Christ, whether it's someone being healed, whether it's someone um, receiving um, freedom from bondage, when, whatever we do, we should do for the glory of God. And I look forward to, this process, I say that with trepidation, but I look forward to it, and standing up and giving testimony to what God's asking us to do in loving our town in practical ways, that God would be glorified. I do believe it's possible. You know, the, te- the reason Paul de Jong told that testimony on Thursday night was because their eldership had a vision that they would sow $20 million a year into community needs, He's, and they said, the only way we can do that is if we've got no debt. Lord, what do you reckon? And God says, well, would you believe that I could get rid of that debt? And he has. So this year, they'll sow $20 million into their community. And God will be glorified. Let your good deeds shine before all men, that they would see them and, what does the Bible say? Glorify your Father in heaven. And then this other verse, which you can go and find later, this really um, jumped out to us in, a prayer, in the prayer meeting, one of the Zoom prayers this week, is, um, is, is um, the prophet Zechariah is speaking on behalf of the Lord. The Lord is prophesying about the restoration of Zion and the calling of the people. And right at the very last verse in that chapter, Zechariah chapter 8, he says, and it will be that 10 men will come to a Jewish man and tug on his sleeve say, may we go with you for we see the Lord is with you. Why did the crowds follow Jesus? Because they saw the Lord was with him, the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh. May our good deeds, may our serving our town be such that people would notice we're doing good things. That they would glorify God. So the purpose of me sharing this is to be transparent and to be accountable, and it's an ongoing conversation. So uh, I'm open, if you wanted to ask a question now, I'm open for you to come and see me uh, during the week, I'm open for you to make an appointment or to meet with the elders, but what I do want is I want us to go on this journey together. because I believe it's a journey of stewardship. I believe it's a journey of obedience and one for which we'll be held accountable. Yvonne, you wanted to ask something?